Welcome to uh, episode three of the Guy Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Adam Goodman, and I'm here with two very special guests. Um, one you know, uh, another will be new and hopefully not the last time, but I'm here with Moses Farrow. Hello. And um, I'm here with uh, Holly McGinnis. Woohoo! In the house. <laughs> All right. And so, uh, here's the thing, right? So, we were... You know, as we're planning what we're going to do with the guide podcast and everything, uh, Moses was like, oh, you know, so Moses's podcast was coming around and he's like, oh, you know, I'd love to have a guest. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, little, little, little hurt. He just doesn't want to talk to me, but okay. And um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm kidding. And uh, so he's like, you know, I would love to have uh, Holly McGinnis on. And I'm like, no, Holly, I know Holly. <laughs> And so, um, when I was, so, so Holly and I go like back mm. when I was a kid and, um, our families knew each other and, you know, and I told my mom, I was like, mom, how many want to podcast with, with Holly? She's like, oh, she did this and this and like, we, you know, and so I am super excited that, um, we can talk to Holly and she's been involved with adoption studies and everything. And she's also, a CAD, a Korean American adopt adoptee, and um, you know she'll be here to to talk to us about just you know mental health, her adoptee journey, and whatever comes to mind. So I'm really glad you're here, Holly. I am so excited to be here, and Adam, you have grown up to be a wonderful young man. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you so much. That and means a lot. When I met you, I was young too. <laughs> yes, yes, younger. <laughs> um. But yeah, it was, it's, um, you know, so, so this, this, you know, I, I guess there's no real like set topic for the podcast, but we want, we do want to make sure that we stay on the guide mission of like mental health. And, um, one, one of those aspects of mental health that I get a lot out of just by interacting with the, um, CAD community is this just connection and this, just, just this like lightness of interaction, like of being with other cats, right? Even when we're talking about potentially very heavy subjects, um, I don't feel any barriers, right? Like it's been years and years and years since we've talked, right, Holly? And, and before yes. we even started recording, like it was, it was incredible. So I was 24 when I started, also known as in New York City, uh, with mm. the mission and purpose of starting a mentorship program. And so I'm curious, Adam, did your parents yeah. make you go to also known as events or did you do um, uh, any other 
activities or related to adoption when you were younger? Because I think I think we're about ten years difference now, right? I'm I think so. About yeah. Um, so when when was AKA started? Nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. So I was um, just entering high school, mm. and I I I didn't do any. Like adopt the events or anything. And so my parents weren't going to make me do it, right? I mean, I was, of course, I wasn't, I was grown, right? I was, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I didn't do anything with, with AKA until, you know, I became an actual adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I definitely knew about it. My parents were like, oh, you know, Holly started this. So I was like, okay, great, mom. <laughs> but yeah, so I didn't. I- yeah. But I'm curious though, because I don't think a lot of adoptees. I mean, I I appreciated what you said about um, adoptees and how um, it does feel really natural um, and easy at times. But I met a lot of uh, adoptees over my 25 years who were like deer in the headlights. Hmm. Uh, I see you. I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> true, <laughs> this true. is not my space. And we, you know, with also known as in the early days, we had just a revolving door where people like kind of peek in. They're mm. like, no, not for me. And we're leaving. And then there were some that were like peeking the door. Oh my God, I found home. This right. is it. These are my people, you know? And so I, I just, I asked those questions of you, Adam, just because I, I know your family had contact with us, but, um, but just wondering what makes you feel at ease and was it at a process of feeling at ease with our community? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it was sort of just immediate, but <laughs> it was, um, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a very shy person. So, uh, and, and even though I wasn't necessarily like, I don't think anyone is fully settled in any of their identities or, or who they are, but I definitely had a sense of like, much more of a sense of like, these are my people than of like, oh, nope, <laughs> I'm going to back out, right? I mean, and I think I've said this before and maybe maybe it's the first time in this podcast uh, for Guide, but um, the first time I did like a major adoptee thing, I jumped right into like the 10-foot end of the pool. I mm-hmm. went to Korea. I went to Seoul and did a, a you know, ICA gathering. This is, oh, that was like my yeah. first, wow. like instead of dipping my toes, I, I jumped what into like the ocean. What year did you go, Adam? Um, I think it was like 2005, uh, did we have one in 2005 or 2007? 2004, 2004, 2007. Okay. So you were in the 2004 one. That was the yeah. first one in Seoul. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> I was, I, I went, I like jumped in, right? Like I was like, this is, if I'm going to do it, <laughs> I'm going to, to Korea, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, um. But I definitely, I get that. Like, there are definitely people who you'll see for one or two events and then they're just, because it's, it is a lot. I mean, the, the adoptee community and just adoption is a lot. And mm-hmm. they might think they're ready to start interacting with other adoptees and start talking about that. Yeah. You know, all the things that come up. Um, and, but then they realize they're not. And I, I don't fault anyone for that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, if it's your moment, it's your moment. If it's not, it's not. And, you know, the community is here for you whenever it's it's time for you. Well, and on that note, I mean, thanks to Holly and thanks to yeah, AKA absolutely. for paving that way. And I, I uh, want to hop in because, I, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been a, a therapist and 
for the last 10 years, uh, really focusing on adoption. And it's really, uh, uh, you struck a chord in saying you hop in when you're ready. Yeah. And it, 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 it's such a, a personal uh, choice, right? It, it, it's almost like um, putting it in terms of it, it's a journey, really. Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't ready at first. Uh, I, even, even when I jumped in and I was working for an adoption agency and doing post-adoption counseling and uh, groups and things like that, um, this is much later. This is like after mm. 2010. And, uh, mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, even at that point, I don't think I was fully realized for myself as an adoptee and really embracing what that means as I know what it means now. Yeah. It, it really is such a yeah. um, kind of a, a uh, you got to lead with curiosity about it, I think. You do. Yeah. And, you know, I was adopted with my brother, my biological brother, and he's sort of done a lot less, at least official stuff, right? Uh, as, as I have, than I have. And that's just him, you know? I mean, he, he knows he's adopted. It, it is part of his identity. Like we talk about it, but he didn't feel any need, or I, I won't speak for him, but like it, from his actions, it seems that like he didn't feel the need to, you know, explore that side as much. And that's totally fine. You know, I mean, that that's who he is. Um, it's so interesting, Adam, because um, this is anecdotal. Um, but again, <laughs> I've been in the adoptee community for a really long time, 25 years. Uh, <laughs> and <Yeah? laughs> so many adoptees who have another adoptee sibling say exactly the same thing you say. One is yeah. engaged and the other one isn't. And um, I'm actually thinking that I'm going to take advantage of that <laughs> in uh, my oh, yeah? upcoming research um, where I really want to look at adult outcomes of adoptees um, and also foster mm. care alumni. And um, since it's really hard to find, uh, so, you know, my, my journey just for your listeners is um, I, my undergraduate college, uh, I was American studies major uh, <laughs> because well, okay. what I does was that really mean, American studies. Yeah. What is American <laughs> studies? Well, what I is American started studies? off. It's well. I'll tell you what I I studied with it, but um, but I actually started thinking I would be Asian studies because I had these oh, experiences okay. uh, of people, you know, complimenting me on my English. Or the the epiphany was my senior year of high school and mm. going down to Epcot and Disney World with my um, six girlfriends from my uh, Catholic high school, and went to like quote China and they started to speak to me in Chinese, went to quote Japan. They started to talk to me in Japanese. And I look Ooh, at my your, friends your who friends? are from like German ancestry. I'm like, why isn't any spe- anyone speaking to you in German? <laughs> you know? Or my Irish That's friends. I'm question. like, why isn't anybody talking to you in Celtic? Why is everyone speaking to me in these Asian languages? So that was Does like anyone the light speak bulb Celtic? moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's dead. <laughs> Actually, no. Doesn't Enya sing? <laughs> Anyway, I consider myself an Irish Catholic girl, so I should know some of this stuff, my <laughs> Irish heritage. Um, but, you know, my halfway through my undergraduate, I said, you know something, um, if I know everything about every Asian country, that just fulfills the racial stereotype that if you look like mm. me, you do. And mm-hmm. so I switched my major to American studies because I wanted to find out how 
I could be an American with an Asian face, an Irish last name, and a blonde hair mom. And so essentially what I studied was 20th century race history. Okay. <laughs> um, and um, that's where this I took this one class on uh, racial mixture um, and this thin hmm. little book called New People, which was all about black-white uh racial mixing. And that was the aha moment where I figured out where I fit because I didn't fit in black and I didn't fit in white. Um, But there was a third class, especially in the deep South where mixed race, black whites were considered a third class and they were able to get money. They were able to um, get educated. And so, uh, and if you look back, like many of the leaders um, in, um, uh, the civil rights movements came from the deep South because of that class right. of mixed race. So huh. even though I'm not racially mixed race, I that was the moment where I realized, oh, there's a third category between categories, and that's me. And that's why also known as came out of that, like I'm also known as Yuha Young. That's right. why the name of that is it's like we are multiple identities of which we can claim. And that and that um that power or empowerment to claim our own stories was such a yeah. driving force because I, I was like, God, you know, I feel so uncomfortable when I feel like I have to check into the white box. I feel so uncomfortable when I check into the Asian box because mm-hmm. both of them, mm-hmm. you know, didn't quite fit. Um, but and, anyway, yeah. um, yeah. I ended up after starting also known as getting my master's in social work. And then I did policy work in, in adoption and realized so much policy was being driven by research. So I went and got my PhD in social work. And um, I actually just, just like, found you out know, today. Just like, getting your PhD. You know, yeah, just, I got my she PhD. Got it. I got it. <laughs> just like <laughs> but that. I want to share with you and all your listeners, I got my grant. So awesome. I have a little bit of seed money yeah, to do yeah. this research on adult outcomes for adoptees, which I think and, will and be. And that is a super important topic because I feel like culturally adoptees are always children, right? And no one really talks about like what happens to people who are adopted when they grow up and what are the outcomes. And and I think also with foster care. Yes. Um Foster children are always foster, people who are who go through the foster care system are always thought of as children, and I almost said it. I was like foster children, uh, <laughs> yes. and you know, and people don't realize that there is a sizable percentage of people in America that just age out mm-hmm. of the foster care system at like eighteen or something like that, right? And then they're just what are the services? That, you know, what happens? And, yes. and people don't think of that about that because they're like, well, when I'm 18, I have a regular uh, family, you know, I go to college or they take care of me or something else happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those, those adult outcomes are super important and I'm really glad that you were able to get that this grant to study me those too. things. Woohoo. So, yeah. and I think it will be really useful data for guide, you know, for yeah. – um, Anyone mm-hmm. who's doing anything, because we know a lot of things anecdotally, um, mm-hmm. but we don't. And and for like foster care alumni, we know when they age out at eighteen, twenty four, up to maybe thirty, but then we don't know anything after that. And I feel like there is so much of so much figuring out we end up doing, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. I want to say around uh, the meaning of our adoption um, way later in our life. Um, and yeah. I, and I think of, um, you know, I think about what you both were saying about, I think 
I'm, I'm thinking, and you can speak for yourself, Adam. It's like, at least you knew there was a community growing up because of your parents, you know? Yeah. But maybe, I don't know for you, Moses, it was like, you didn't even know there was a community. And then it, you only work professionally. And for me, I'm like, I... I knew there were a couple of others because <laughs> in my <laughs> hometown, it was like, oh, okay, there's another one. We're going to avoid each other. <laughs> that, that was my response because I was like, no, I'm the special one <laughs> who was adopted yeah, from overseas. Yeah, yeah. But again, in as an undergrad, and I was so interested in, I'm like, what is this history? Where, what? How did I get to be in the family? That was really the question. Mm -hmm. Like, how did I get here? Uh, And that's how I dug up around the whole history of international adoptions and the Mm -hmm. whole system of international adoption coming out of the Korean War. And so I was like, oh, this is my historical lineage. And I I was sharing with Moses too. I have, and I tie this totally back to being adopted that, you know, I had, I came when I was three and a half and had Mm -hmm. no infant pictures. Um, And so as a little kid- I mean, I don't really- yeah. Yeah. Do you thing. have any Moses? similar? Like younger not like, than? Not like not infant, infant. No. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 So I I would document, and I took copious pictures because I was like I wanted to document that I existed. <laughs> I had yeah. this like desperate because I was just like I had nothing else. Um, but then tethering to like the Korean War, I'm like, oh, this is like how I got to be able to be in my family because of all of these other things um, was so grounding and so powerful. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah. But um, it gives you a sense of belonging, right? It does. It does. And it's uh, like where you belong. I like as for an adopted, like a Korean American adoptee who does sort of like the historical context journey, like you, t- you described Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you're so conscious of like, you're where you are because of history. Like you're where you are because of the actions of other people. Yeah. Right. And I think for so many people, uh, other, you know, for, for people who are not adopted, right. You're just like, Oh, I'm here because I'm here. So like it, it, it's a different element. It's like a it, like they're not as conscious about why why they are in the family they are. They just are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like There's that some consciousness in that. <laughs> there is. There's a luxury. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I, I think the word privilege is used too much, but there is a luxury in it. There's a. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the right word is, but yeah, it it it, it separates mm-hmm. uh, in a way, and. Um, yeah, so like I'm, I'm like I, I as I've learned more and researched more and talked to more people like you, Holly and Moses, and just everybody, and and read more. Uh, yeah, you get so conscious about sort of the tra- the trajectory of your life, <laughs> and and because like and you were mentioning about how like where do we fit in terms of um, race in America or just like the society in America, and 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 even like and and because yes, American race discussion is pretty much black and white mm-hmm. right and i don't say black and white because of the, the expression i mean literally mm-hmm. black people and white people right and asians asian americans overall are struggling i think politically to to position ourselves mm-hmm. but then personally as transracial adoptees for yes. the most part right because most cads are transracially adopted mm-hmm. we're trying to like we're trying to navigate the personal aspect of that mm-hmm. where yeah. 
you know, we're, we're, we're raised by, by families that are white for the most part that are the quote American families, right? Because let's not pretend that when people say American, they don't mean white, right? <laughs> um, but we're also, our faces are not white, right? Our, our, our bodies and our being is not white. And you, you know, so it can be hard to navigate that and to sort of place ourselves. I think that also the, the challenge is, and I've noticed this even when I've talking, spoken with my Asian American friends, second or third generation, mm-hmm. there is a white privilege that I walk in sure, that I don't yeah. think about sometimes yes. doing things that my Asian friends would be like, wait, you just did that? Like, so I'll give a small, small example. No, that, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, and so, so this proximity to whiteness and the fact that like, I know that culturally I, I, I see the world through the white privilege lenses of my white family and parents, sure. you know, and I had to learn how to be Asian. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always thinking like that would be like how to become a Korean, <laughs> you know, would be a chapter of a book or something that I it would is. Write. It's, no, but it's an um, interesting little, it, it's an interesting space, mm-hmm. right? Cause like yeah. we know the, um, we know the white sort of mannerism. We know the mm-hmm. white way of speaking. Yeah. Like we were, like a lot of the proximity to whiteness in is in the um, how to navigate the systems, right of America. But also the cultural nuances we just yeah. know. And I remember right. um, a Korean American um, guy that I went to high school. It was myself, this one Korean American guy, and then another Korean adopted woman um, in my Catholic high school. And he said to me once, he said, "I wish I was adopted." And I was like, Dan, Kim, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You wish you were adopted. And he would do yeah. like all day Sunday, he would be at his church. And I'm like, how do you spend all day at church, you know, being Catholic? Because like 45 minutes was long enough. <laughs> right, right. Catholic school, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you want the 30-minute mass. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but... And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it was only later that I really understood because there were things that I knew, little is like, um, you know, don't catch your chickens before they're hatched, like those kinds of little. Yeah, and that's what I meant. Yeah, like I get it. I know it. I know it implicitly. You know, I mean, but if he told me a Korean one, I'd be like, what? I don't get that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, yeah, and and, yeah, it's it's like we're raised in that white culture. We just know it. Yeah, and we also like we also have parents that know it, mm-hmm. and you know it's that sort of privilege that we just we don't even think about it being privileged. Yeah. We're like, yeah, of course they know how to yeah. apply for colleges. Of course we know they know how to, mm-hmm. you know, they have connections in business if they you know for professions and stuff like that. And for a lot of like Asian American families. That like I've gotten to know and everything like because a lot of Asian Americans are fairly new immigrants, right? And so like a lot of the Asian Americans I've met are like second generation themselves, like or or maybe third is like the deepest they go. Yeah, and they just don't like that's the white that's the proximity to whiteness that I think a lot of Asian uh, cads are like. But yeah, I mean, that's how that that's that proximity. And I'm like, I can't, I can't say I don't have it. I don't know it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think we need to really be mindful of that, you know? Um, yeah. Um, and because I also saw it a lot when adoptees go back to Korea. 
Mm. because they are expecting Koreans to behave like Americans. And when Koreans yeah, act like that. Koreans, they get really pissed off, you know, yeah, just you can't like do that. any you're other Westerner. You're not in America. All right. Yeah, and, yeah. and you're also not going to get the benefit of the doubt necessarily because you have a Korean face. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. white got, white people can act a certain way in Korea mm-hmm. and Koreans will just let them get away with it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in, in some ways. But yes. like you won't and you're like, like, why is this isn't fair? I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying it's fair. <laughs> like, yeah, no. You, you have a great you know face. What's, what's so funny is so the first time I went back to Korea was in 1996. Um, and I've been back every two, four or five years, kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. So um, in 98, I decided to go for a summer and study at Yonsei University. Oh, nice. Wow. Um, yeah, so I did like I didn't know that that was like a Korean American rite of passage. So I did the ten week program, which apparently is the big hookup. <laughs> oh, is it the big hookup program? Like, <laughs> and I was a little bit too old. I was twenty eight, so most of the other, you know, they were all tw- you know, right. just whatever. 1920. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is the thing. But what was funny was not speaking Korean well with a Korean face. Uh, people thought I was mm. Japanese. And then. Oh, um, really? I, yeah, yes. Yeah. That yeah. Makes so sense. they didn't assume that, that I was American. And that then does make sense. what's funny is that um, I was in Korea 2013 to 2015 doing, um, uh, collecting data for my dissertation, which was looking at mental health outcomes of adolescents growing up in orphanages in South mm. Korea. And the, um, over the last 10 years or so, there's been such an influx of Chinese um, tourists. And so oh. um, now, so after that time, people thought, okay, um, so being mistaken to be Japanese back in 96 was still like very insulting, actually, because there was still <laughs> a lot of like hatred to the Japanese. But yeah. But in 2013, because of so many of the Chinese tourists coming in, they, they assumed that I was Japanese. <laughs> oh, the Chinese was, tourists like, thought thing. you were Japanese? <laughs> no, no, no. The Koreans thought that I was Japanese. <laughs> like, uh, that became a compliment because it's like, you don't oh, want to be oh, a Chinese tourist. Oh, yeah, and then you're like, that doesn't feel that great either. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I swear yeah. to God, I was like, uh, I'm like the, t- the and the taxi drivers have gotten a lot better. But back in like 96 to 98, mm. like when they were like, okay, you're not a Korean, Korean, uh, you must be Korean Japanese. So I'm gonna rip you off. <laughs> I got ripped off a lot. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're you're being ripped off by the cabbies. <laughs> I I remember the first time I went back and and um or when I was there for the the Ica gathering. Um, they would give they gave us these like cards to be like you know if you're out you know because obviously everyone goes out and parties and drinks or whatever they're like and 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 very few people know Korean so like if you're going out and you have to get back to the hotel um, you can say I forget what the word is for like adoptee in Korean or there's Ibyang. some word there sorry Ibyang. yeah Ibyang, yeah Ibyang. so they're like Ibyang imida so like t- say, <laughs> tell them that and then hopefully they'll not like assume you know Korean <laughs> and then. <laughs> Like they, they gave us like a card and, and I remember I would tell like the cabbies or people and um, I mostly, I don't know exactly what I was expecting them to say or feel. Um, I think one of them was either like, we don't care, you look Korean, why don't you speak Korean? Sort of like a, a, a little, I guess, um, insensitive response. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I got very like, they felt very guilty. Mm-hmm. Like just random cabbies, and, and most cabbies mm-hmm. in in Seoul are older men. Yeah, right. They're 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 like they're the um 
the Ajaxis. They're like, you know, maybe 50 to 60. And back when I went, like, they, probably they were young men, you know, or, or um, you know, maybe just born in like the, the you know, the 50s. And uh, they might have either heard stories or known, you know, of, of this happening. And they were just guilty. They just, they felt bad. <laughs> and, you know, I remember having to tell them, like, you don't have to feel bad. It's okay. Like, you know, it wasn't you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I was, and that always will stick with me because, uh, I think Korean society as a whole, they, they know about it. And as I've learned more about the historical, uh, circumstances of what happened and, and other things, I, I don't know if I, I would say I've gotten more understanding. Like emotionally, like I, I, I'm more understanding cognitively, mm-hmm. but um, I can understand why they might have that sort of guilty reaction to it outside of just being like, oh, you're adopted and like, you know, maybe some guilt there. There's but a lot like of historically shame. a guilt and shame. Yeah. 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 Like that. And I, I think a small example of how Koreans and their collective thinking, like when something happens, um, it doesn't happen just to them. It happens yeah. to their entire family and it happens to their entire nation. So, yeah. like, you know, the big rigmarole over Korean air and like the daughter of the president of Korean air mm-hmm. made this big fuss and shame because she didn't have the right peanuts or something like that, right? right? And she yelled at the people and yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, she trotted out and apologized on behalf of the entire nation. Would you ever see an American trotting oh, themselves out and saying, I am so sorry on behalf of America <laughs> for my no, actions, you know? Never. I and mean, that's, yeah. And, and so happened. it's so powerful. And it's just another, um, it, it, it was really hard for me too to kind of bump against these um, Korean cultural um, notions of adoption, which were so different from the American notions of adoption that I experienced growing up. And, and, right same reactions as you had Adam when I first went and when people would be like shamed or guilty or whatever. And it's just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, part of me was like, okay, you know, I I did appreciate it. mm -hmm, Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and yeah, I felt an appreciation. Like at least they're taking it seriously. Like they knew that, you know, they had done something that they, they wouldn't have necessarily done if it had, you know, if they could have made a different decision or something like that. But it wasn't something to be like, yes, we did that. You know, it wasn't like a point of pride. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah. and it definitely validated some of my own sort of nascent feelings of like, you know, criticism or at least being critical mm-hmm. of, 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 the, of the system as a whole yeah. uh, and the historical context of why it happened. So, it wasn't like, you know, as I think back on it, I'm like, you know, I appreciate it. Well, it is fascinating. Oh. Oh, go it, ahead, Moses. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating, uh, Adam. I appreciate you bringing up the historical context. You know, yeah. and I think it, I think it'd be valuable to put it in the historical context of how Korea really led the way for international adoption uh, and the future of international adoption. If I'm not mistaken, um, the way that it happened. Uh, came out of um, the Korean War, I believe, and came out of uh, the uh, uh, um, relationships that were formed between GIs and 
the Korean comfort woman and the shame and stigma around uh, single parenthood, you know, single, single mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and so given what you just shared about, uh, you know, national pride and really feeling that on an ind- individual basis, uh, it, it makes sense that, um, uh, you know, when the, when Korea, uh, started ad- adopting their children out, adopting their infants out, uh, it was in, at a time when Korea wasn't very strong. Mm-hmm. And economically, socially, or otherwise. And they, they really kind of saw adoption as a way to generate their economy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I think at one point, one point, uh, the government did make a, a, a public apology for their actions uh, towards adoptees. Yeah, um, Kim Dae Jung did that, and mm, that was kind mm. of uh, a high point. That was around ninety six and ninety eight, and um, mm. we had uh, some members from also known as uh, Peter Zavasta was one of them who attended that. Um, meeting that he had pulled Mm. um, he had called the adoptees you know to come to Korea and did issue that apology Um, yeah it's it's interesting so I mulled a lot around the problem of child abandonment in Korea Um, Mm. when I was doing my dissertation and living in the country uh, Mm -hmm. for a year and a half and you know it is one thing to kind of be there you know, for a week, 10 days, two weeks, a month, right? but to be there for a year and a half and to begin to feel like the rhythm and the pressures um, in your body <laughs> of the yeah. culture that is yeah. so incredibly intense. It um, is. And I just, you know, go back to kind of some of the challenges is, um, you know, I've often, when I talk to adoptive parents and say, you know, the hardest thing about being adopted is making sense of this paradox. I loved you, so I gave you away. Right. How do you resolve right. that? I loved you, so I gave you away. Um, and I don't think any of us are ever settled in that. How no. can you love me and not take care of me? <laughs> right? Yeah. That, um, yeah. yeah. It's Especially, such a core, I think, other adoptees who become parents, right? Yeah. It's especially yeah. harder. Yeah. But as a nation too, that like yeah. even them issuing all of the face masks to adoptees, it's like, you know, there's yeah. this sense that the country is your parent and we should have taken care of you. And now in these ways, and, and one way when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, what a political showcase, you know, sending sure. these, these. But then I got one and I wore one today and they're really yeah. comfortable. <laughs> I'm like, hey, all right, Koreans go Korea. Koreans know how to make a face mask. Come on, they do. They know how to make a face mask. Yeah, but it's it's a little bit, and you know, and this is what I've seen in scholarship by Korean adoptees and kind of more in the humanities. It's like we adoptees become objects of other people's wantings and needs, and where you know, Mm -hmm. so so Koreans in Korea want us to become Korean again. You know, Americans in America want us to be black, white, whatever, something in between, you know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, in that like mm-hmm. racial thing. And it's kind of like, can I just be me? 
<laughs> like, yeah. do, do I need yeah. to fulfill your need for me to perform in some sort of way to fulfill your need to feel comfortable? <laughs> and I think that that's yeah. really part of the adoptee mental mm-hmm. health is, is like yeah. detaching ourselves, like literally unplugging us from the matrix that's been feeding us and telling us who we're supposed to be uh, yeah. when none of it is really the truth. <laughs> and of course, I'm thinking of the matrix, the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried to made a reference to that to some of my students in the fall and I got so many blank looks I'm like oh my god I'm really old <laughs> and, 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 and how old are your students like they're not even zoomers they're like no even they're in their early that, 20s right? oh, oh so they're, they're what? what what would that be like young millennials oh z no maybe yeah. are they zoomers gen z, gen z zoomers i think they're some of them are gen z's i had to explain mm. the blue pill and the red pill like i had to describe that scene so they must be really turn. confused when everyone's like these these dangerous <laughs> red pill people <laughs> <laughs> i made my 12 year old watch it i'm like this is a classic you gotta watch this a classic oh my god i was in college like i was um i was i was at dartmouth at the time and it was the first non-festival showing of the of uh, well, no, I'm sorry, that, not the Matrix. It was um, the first non-festival showing of um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I remember, like, you know, Ang Lee was there, and then some guy was like watching it in front of me, and he was like, "They ripped off the Matrix." I'm like, "You mother, <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker, that did, that's so wrong." But anyway, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. I mean that. That space, yeah, we're we're pulled in so many different directions, and I think that's when that that like it's hard to create an identity, period, right? As a human being, separate from your parents and your family, but when you almost when you layer on that, um, like two different cultures, uh, it it just becomes much much harder, and you know you you layer on like the family on top of that and. You know, there is a real pressure to to not, you know, if you if, if you had a good family experience or and even if you didn't, to not sort of like insult them or upset your family and, and all these things. But then you're like, well, you know, I'm not I want to explore X, Y, and Z. Uh, and I have all these feelings that might be counter to the the, the prevailing narrative around adoption. Yeah. Uh, and it it becomes very tough to to be to truly express what you're feeling. Uh, and I think for me, at least, the adoptee community was really in- in- instrumental or, or important in that. You know, even if everyone didn't agree with me, mm-hmm. you know, no one has to always, you know, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent agreement, but someone was there to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you, you were able to hear other people's stories. I mean, yeah, that absolutely. was, I, I mean, I think back. Uh, so I met my birth family in 1996. Also, that was one hell of a year. So started also known as went to Korea wow. for the first time. Met my birth family. <laughs> yeah, Damn. Um, it was a big year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 1996. 1996. Seared in my memory. <laughs> AOL. <laughs> we were yeah. still chatting with that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I was share with Moses about how I tried to find adoptees back in the day before the internet, and I had to call people. I went to the Asian Heritage Festival um, at Lincoln Center. Went from table to table saying, "Hi, I'm starting a group. If you know anyone who." adopted could you let me know <laughs> i mean the, i mean uh, holly the the courage that that took to do that 
I mean, oh, and it was so awkward, Adam. <laughs> I, oh, I, <laughs> because I didn't even yeah. like to tell people that I was adopted. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, that, I mean, you're incredible. We all know, that, but that just. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it, it's tough to even just like Facebook message somebody and let alone like have to go to like a room of like just people and be like, I'm starting this thing. Uh, that's so tough. It it was really crazy and awkward and definitely took me out of my my comfort, Your zones comfort zone a lot of time just to say a little but i remember because on that day wow. there was somebody at one of the tables was like that guy over there is an adoptee i'm like oh, and i go running over <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like hi <laughs> and he was probably like well, who is this <laughs> I'm, I'm still friends with him actually so <laughs> Aww, that's awesome yeah which is really cool <laughs> wow but um yeah, yeah. But but again, hearing other people's stories um was so informative to helping me hear things that I didn't even know were possible to be part of my story and then also yeah. to hear just experiences that were um so different from mine or similar, you know? And yeah, so the, obviously the similar ones was very validating. The ones that were different made me go, "Huh?" you know, and I want to understand that more. Mhm. So you guys, there are three things that you've brought up that mm. uh, I'd just like to spend a minute to highlight about uh, Adam's point about building a community. You know, how do we reconcile having so many multi-identities, uh, as you mentioned, Holly? I mean, how do we, uh, 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 you know, bring those all together? And to Adam's point about, but what does it mean to be a CAD? And what is the CAD community? How do we uh, come together when we have such a wide range of experiences? Uh, it's been wonderful to hear how you guys have gone back to Korea and really gotten a flavor of what it's like there and how you fit in, don't fit in, how you're confused with other uh, Asians. Uh, that's um, Something that uh, I, I, I think is on the table for Guy, for the Guy mm -hmm. Foundation, is about collaboration. And how do we create or how do we encourage this sense of community in today's world where, thankfully, how, you don't have to go from table to table <laughs> saying, hi, yeah. <laughs> I'm an Abathi, are you? <laughs> uh, I mean, Will you be my friend? About, like, <laughs> when you <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I thought I was going to be friends with every adoptee that I met. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, but when you think about it, Holly, uh, today's world of social media and the, the Facebook groups that exist mm. and other organizations that exist that are about bringing people together in all different kinds of ways, the way we're Zooming uh, these days, I mean – uh, is there something to be said about saying thank you to, to you for taking that courage to go up? And without this context that we live in today of making it so much easier and so much more comfortable for us to say, yes, we can exchange stories and we can just like at a glance uh, say, oh, I get you. You know, and it 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 really uh, blows my mind to to be honest to be in a different world back then, 
and to to put yourself out there in the way in the way in the ways that you did uh and and yeah really probably, i mean like you continue to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i had to withdraw a little bit take a little break yeah, but um... I mean, we all do we all do at times <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and I'll say like I can't take the credit there you know there was AKA SoCal had started uh, in '94 also known as '96 AAA W in '96 um, Minnesota had a group so there was a bubbling up um, mm-hmm. um, so but I think in having the privilege because I think many people in their life can't say they were part of forming a community. So mm-hmm. in those early days, it was just about forming a community. It was like, how do I find each other? Let's love each other because we've never seen each other before. And what, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so, <laughs> so really like even, you know, the founding members of also knows our orientation was like, that's make community that stay connected. Um, in 96, also, there was still um, a lot of pushback from adoption agencies and distrust of adoptees. So I wanted to start a mentorship program. And so to get access to those children, I had mm-hmm. to go through agencies. I had to go mm-hmm. to adopt the parents. So I became really clear really quickly that it was more important for me to be heard than to be right. And that yeah. didn't mean that they were mutually exclusive. So what I learned was how to speak in a way that adoptive parents could start to trust me and adoption agencies could trust me. And part of that meant that I had to keep my bitching to myself or to my close friends. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And the other part was that, that we were really fighting against the infantilization infantilization of us. And so I was always like, we are adult adoptees. Here I am at 24 and now I'm 48. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't that adult. But anyway, (laughs) but it was still like, we have experiences, we have lived um, knowledge that's really useful that you will want from us, you know? So can you hear us that way? So we would always, I like trained everyone and also known as be like adult adoptees, adult adoptees. And when we're going to bitch, we're going to bitch to ourselves, but out there to the public, we're going to tell, you know, this is a, you know, that we're strong, we're resilient, we're empowered. Mm-hmm. And it was really about really claiming all of those spaces. So the also known as mission was empower, build and transform. So the empowerment was empowering ourselves and our stories and our narratives, mm-hmm. building connections to all those things that we were disconnected from. Mm-hmm. The third was really like, how can I make, how can I do something with this weird life and family that I was given? And to me, that was this idea that we could transform conversations about race. I don't think also known as we really created any program around that one, but I think that idea of transforming conversations about race is where we're at right now. Um, and yes, we need to really yes. think about it. And I'll tell you, you know, 25 years ago, I didn't have language like white privilege, white fragility. Those mm-hmm. books were not mm-hmm. available to me. Me, so I didn't have the same language that we do, but now we do. So I think we can make mm-hmm. incredible strides yeah. as our elevated consciousness around race and our positionality in our these very complicated families that we have around race right. and privilege. Right. Um, but um, but but then it moved really. And 2004 is when when I kind of see the organiz- uh, the community started to become politicized. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was the rise of a lot of the advocacy groups um, and activist groups in Korea, um, and not as much uh, on, uh, in the U.S. itself. Uh, and that 
at first I remember being really upset by the activist groups because I was like, because they were so polarizing, I could feel people pulling away from community, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's part of that agitation. It stirs people up. but. As somebody who works so hard to get our community connected, to see people getting fractured because of kind of like their political views was so painful for me. Um, yeah. And I did pull away for a while and I kind of did more professional work in, in adoption, but I always cared um, about my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and um and then I got kind of tired of the politics of adoption, quite frankly. And that's part of another reason why I love to get mm-hmm. my PhD, because I'm like, I don't want to be anyone else's voice anymore. I want my own. I want to figure out what I want to say. I want to figure out the research questions that I think matter. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's taken, again, a long journey to kind of do some of, of that, too. Um, but it's all been a journey um, I think to finding my authentic self, my authentic voice, my authentic positionality. What do I think about it? We're always, you know, we can always read all these other positions, but ultimately I've always felt um, we don't choose to be relinquished. We didn't get to choose to be adopted, but we do get to choose to make the meaning of this experience that we have. Um, And mine has changed and evolved a lot, but, um, and, and gosh, you know, I really think a lot Moses about like, I wish I could make a roadmap for adoptees. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. do this. And and it's a little bit there, like, go to your birth country, look for birth <laughs> yeah. family, you know, <laughs> but yeah, there's yeah. all, <laughs> meet some cads. <laughs> 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 but again, those are things to do. They're, they're, but like, there's like a whole reading list I think adoptees could use from, you know, there's like all these sure. movies that would be really helpful for you to know. And is and again, it's so complicated because it's not only just in America, it's also Korea. <laughs> like we have to know yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. yeah, all yeah. of that richness and good God, like I'm still learning. <laughs> and, yeah. Yes. And, and I think that's part of, um, uh, and I'm thinking through the questions that you were asking Moses, but you know, is that like, you know, part of our strength is the sort of just the breadth of who we are because we are between, like, you can think of it as we're between two things or we're of two things. And, 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 and I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of trauma involved in adoption, right? But when I think about it in a good, in a sense of like, I, I know a lot more. I'm like, my, my, my life is richer in a way. And, I have the I have the opportunity to to fully or, or to at least be in two different cultures like and I, and I can claim them because I have a right to them. And mm-hmm. um not a lot of people can say that. You know. Yeah. And 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 it's and and I feel like it, it, it's a unique position uh and there's some power in that. Uh and um I feel I feel good about it. I'm like, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I can be in the Asian American community. I can be in the, the, Amer- you know, the white American community. I can be in the Korean community if I, you know, if I want to. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I find strength in that, uh, in my better moments. <laughs> yeah. Adam, what you're, what you're talking about is we deserve to exist simply because we do exist. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? And and what you're what you're speaking about, I mean, what both of you are, uh, are are speaking about that I'm picking up on there's so many intersectionalities 
at this point. Mm-hmm. It is so complex. Uh, the 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 thing that I want to hone in on, uh, based on what you're sharing, Holly, is I am so thankful that the world yes. has caught up. I'm so <laughs> thankful that the time has come that we have grown up. Yeah. And yeah. We, we have played that roadmap. You have mm-hmm. created that roadmap. And others have created that roadmap because there are books and there are memoirs and there are movies and documentaries. Yes. And yes. there's a plethora of yeah. media and ways to engage, educate, and learn about yes. what, what it means to be adopted. And to really capture the full breadth of what, what that means. Because, you know, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. It, it's not a singular uh, existence. But what I'm, you know, what I'm realizing is it is our generation to yeah. create that roadmap for future generations. Yeah. And, you know, this is, I know this is a little bit of a shameless plug because <laughs> when we're talking about, Roadmaps. It is our podcast, Moses. <laughs> you, know, you know, Derek and Jody, they are writing right now a handbook for how to uh, uh, go through the birth family reunion. Yeah. And it is based on lived experiences and people's stories. And, uh, like, I'm so thankful that. The world has caught up. I'm so thankful that there is a community. I, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, uh, there has been research and there has been deliberate thought and deliberate yeah. inquiry about what is all this? What does it all mean? How do we, you know, how do we exist uh, in a way that says um, we're not blank slates? We come with a history. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, like, really tragically, the way the adoption process happens and the practices that go on, it creates tremendous amount of trauma. And going back to a previous point, uh, uh, about your, your face masks from, from Korea, while there, there's known research now that we are, um, we are killing ourselves. We are ending our lives. Yeah. You know, and, I I really like it. Really resonated with me that yes, who who is there for us? You know, is it is it the government? Is it our parents? Um, what I'm finding is we're we're here for each other. Yeah, you know, and I think also, you know, there may never be us again in the sense of That's true. I do not see international adoptions ever creeping up to what they were in the 80s, 90s and uh, early 2000s. At least not and I from think that's Korea. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, <laughs> you know, it is, I think that's it a, is good, a thing. good thing. I think that international adoption was never supposed to be uh, an intervention to help a lot of kids, only a, only a very small number, um, because when it gets to be too many, um, the chances of trafficking and other kinds of nef- nefarious, you know, right. um, motivations can really right. happen. So I think the whole correction, you know, is, is really good and, and is really um, 
is the way, but there is still so much for us to know about the practice. And I think Mm -hmm. um, we are the generation to speak that. And I I haven't shared this with you, Adam, but um, I found out that I had breast cancer in January. So so I had to go through treatment um, during COVID pandemic. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, that's it was like really, the worst time. Oh my god, I'm so was, sorry. Um, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so oh, there's all yeah. of this research from the 1997-98 on uh, adverse childhood experiences, which has begotten a lot of um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. bigger attention now. And what that study did in '97 was really it was a, a bunch of um, people who. Um, more mostly white middle class and Mm -hmm. they counted how many adverse childhood experiences they that these people had from kaiser permanente health insurance and what they found was that those who had more number of adverse childhood experiences had greater risk for heart disease um chronic diseases like diabetes Mm -hmm. cancer these kinds of things and these are kind of these legacies of our childhood traumas that we don't attend to at all and so again you know one of my motivations for uh, wanting to do kind of an epi study of like, how are we? Because there's studies of adoptees, but we're, oh, they're always asking us about our childhood. They're not right. asking us about us now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Or and like going um, through your life, right? Like just what Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, tell us about here and here. But like, how are you right yeah. now? How yeah. is your health? How is your yeah. mental health? What could have helped you? What could have not helped you for mm-hmm. right now since like after 30? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and especially what was so interesting was that I was organizing a conference at the UMass Amherst Rudd Center on Adoption Research headed by Hal Gerdevan. And every two years they do an adoption conference. And he invited me to chair this past year, this year's, uh, it was supposed to be in April, but of course it was canceled. And I focused mm. on adult adoptees. Um, and he was really interested in that, was really supportive. But he had, usually he has a lot of people from DCF um, in Massachusetts come to his uh, conferences. And it's not just adoption, it's adoption of foster care. And sure. he didn't, he noticed that there wasn't a lot of people registering. And so he's like, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, we work with children and your conference is about adults. So we don't think that really relates to us. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it's... Uh... Not surprising. That's a little short-sighted, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that is. I'm not surprised by that reaction uh, from the agency people. But as you said, it's incredibly short-sighted. Like, it's like, it's like someone who, who, yeah, it's like, you don't think the children grow up? (laughs) Like, um, like, do they just stay children their whole lives? And like, and, and and I, I, it never made sense to me, like, as we, going back in our conversation where like, why would an adoption agency have any resistance to um, sort of these like adult adoptees coming back and saying, look, we want to help you and, uh, you know, inter- yeah, like help, like mentor the children. Like why would you be resistant to that? Um, and obviously there are a lot of reasons why, but like if, if the concentration is making sure that the children do as well as they can, you would think they'd be like, yes, we want people who are adoptees to come back and be like, you know, and talk to them and say, that, and just mentor them. Like in every other walk of life, no one's like, well, why would you want someone who's gone through that to talk to you? They'd be like, get that person first, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, I, I, 
from that from that mindset of like I want to help the children, I, I just never understood the the you know that that pushback. But hope you know I, I'm really excited about your research. I know you're the perfect person to do it, and you know it it really makes me happy that like you know that the person who was chairing the you know that department supported you on that because a lot of times people don't you know and 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 um you know it's interesting it so i'm tenure track um yeah. and so i have to show like a body of research you know sure. for tenure and one of the things they asked was well how will this set you up to have get you know external funding so this is an internal grant in my university right. and i kind of was like it could have a lot of potential application. But again, it's this mindset that adoptees or foster alumni um, mm-hmm. aren't enough of us or important enough to like study, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I said, well, it really could relate, you know, if I ask mental health variables, like, and we find that there is kind of a pervasive <laughs> mental health, mm-hmm. you know, challenge that adults um, who are adopted or former foster care alum um, experience, well, I could go to NIH for that or health yes. questions. If I get find out, like there's this like ridiculous number of cancer, you know, that's coming yeah. up. And, uh, you know, and part of what I found out in, in finding out that I had breast cancer was, and again, as a researcher, I'm like, well, let me go look at the literature. And <laughs> I was able yeah. to find one 2019 study that actually compla- compared Asian American women, um, mm-hmm. Asian women in Asia and white women. So for breast cancer and uh, the, you know, the recommendation is age 40 to start your uh, screening for your mammography. But what this study found was that age of onset of breast cancer happens earliest for women who are in Asia. So in their thirties, oh, uh, really? for Asian American women, it starts in our forties, age of okay. onset. And for white women, it's in their fifties and sixties. So I always say to people, you have to know what the recommendations are being based upon. And the fact yes, of the matter is, is most research is not being done on Asian people They're not. or black people. It's mostly nope. white people, white yep. men, and maybe yep. some women. And so I really feel like, gosh, so knowing that, I would recommend my Asian American w- friend women uh, to start, start getting their screening at 30. Yeah, at 35 yeah. and advocating for that because, um, you know, Early and early detection is the prevention. So mine was, um, yeah. you know, hadn't hadn't even inv- invaded yet. Uh, so it was, you know, really uh, like the uh, best uh, kind of cancer you could get. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> stage zero. Like that's that's pretty. But yeah, it's cancer, it's but good. it's just. And once it starts <laughs> to invade, then that's when yeah, it's that's, really messy. And I know yeah. you know this, Adam, because of your mom. Well, you know, yeah, but no, I, I'm happy. Well, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that you, you caught it early. I mean, that's. But no, but I mean that's a broader uh, that's a broader issue in uh, healthcare in America is um, who are they actually studying to come up with these recommendations? And exactly. as you pointed out, it's mainly white men <laughs> and <laughs> yes. some women, right? If it's a woman's if it's a quote unquote woman's disease, it's just, it might be some <laughs> right. white women, uh, and they don't do anything for you know they don't study black women, they don't study Asian women, they don't sp- study Latino Latino women. Uh, and I mean, w- with the whole COVID stuff that's been going on, I mean, it is incredible, like it, how it's been such disproportionately hitting the African American community. 
Uh, and a lot of things are coming up where like I was seeing, you know, a couple of days ago, like there are in nursing, like there are just these horrific stereotypes uh, of African-American people that mm-hmm. still persist to this day in sort of medical practice where, you know, they, they, their, their pain and their, and their discomfort and everything is just discounted. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, and trained medical professionals have just these horrifically racist, uh, you know, mindsets when it comes to this stuff. And people are, you know, they're suffering and dying. And you're like, why? How could this happen? We all know mm-hmm. why, but it's just sort of like, this is not acceptable. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, well, I to to, to go off, yeah, Adam, and, and our own mental health outcomes, right? I mean, it comes to that too. No, it does, right? <laughs> to 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 go to go off your point here, Adam. Uh, it, 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 you know, is it is it safe to say? Is it accurate to say that now more than any other time in history, the uh, connection between health and mental health, yes. is actually coming together that so true we are understanding that actually um our health our physical health our medical health uh uh is a product of or result of our mental and emotional Mm -hmm. health Mm -hmm. and making that link and the 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 other point is you know is understanding that uh that yes, um, who are the ones uh, doing the research and, and practicing? And uh, you know, now that we do have this language of white privilege and fragility and bias, and you know, and put all these terms together now to say this is something across the board, across our yeah. society. These um, are systems. These are the systems. This is how it's constructed. Mm-hmm. That really no, um, no industry is immune to this. Mm-hmm. That no, uh, cultural, uh, community is, uh, immune to this. It's across the board. And, and, and this is where, you know, this is where, uh, it, you know, it, it racism, uh, is likened to the other virus, right? Or has been likened to, Right. You know, we're fighting this other virus. Uh, uh, these days, it is so overt. It is so in our face, right? Um, with, with what's happening right now. But bringing it back to, yes, it, it, it's not just medical, uh, uh, pre- practitioners. It's not just medical professionals, but yeah, we really, we, we really have to put everybody together and say, yeah, it's the healthcare industry it's a healthcare community which includes uh doctors uh which includes um uh other healthcare workers which includes mental health workers mm-hmm. and mental health professionals and where i'm 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 liking what you're saying holly it's it, it, it we we're now we're now in uh a world where it's not just the traditional mental health um uh, mindset. Uh, it includes these uh, other kind of therapies like art mm. therapy, drama therapy, movement therapy. Uh, uh, you know, so really getting a good 
clear understanding from all different angles and how we can we can support our overall health we can support yeah. our mental health uh what what is what is just surprising to me is that this isn't a hugely mainstream way of thinking that really there's still just a yeah. fraction of us who are talking about self-care who are talking about mental wellness who are talking about the intersections between physical health and mental health yeah um, it really is uh and it, it, it's it, it's a, a concern and it's a curiosity of mine uh why is that is it privilege is it uh, as as you're pointing out uh racism um how do we un undo that so yes uh yeah. Uh, the kind of stresses that um, marginalized people uh, and communities have to live with or have lived with, uh, how can they get the help? How can get they? How can they get the access to the uh, the kind of services that will really uh, give them um, uh, the best shot? And I think um, all of the really growing research on trauma um, really supports this uh, connection to the body. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's so vital. And I, uh, and I don't know, maybe at some point I'll, I'll be able to do some research on this too, but especially when our traumas happen to us when we're children and we're pre-verbal, mm -hmm. it's all going to sit in our bodies it lives in our bodies. And so, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I remember when I first moved back to Korea in 96 and I felt like I was walking in two bodies. One was Holly McGinnis, 24, and the other one was Yi Hua Young, age three and a half. And Hua Young, parts mm -hmm. of my body remembered things that Hua Young did. So I would like mm -hmm. squat by, I don't know, some toilet or whatever, or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or like suddenly a smell was so, I was like, oh, I smelled that smell or something about yeah, some mountain absolutely. felt so comfortable. And I'm like, okay, I know my 24 year old self does not know this, but there is somebody else here yeah. that's in my body who's like, yeah. yay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and i remember Absolutely. just having you know other adoptee friends of mine who were six or ten or twelve when they came you know so they even had more body memories you know there mm. but again we didn't have the language to access you know so many things and then um and then my parents told me a story and i've written this also about that first summer when i arrived i would cry and cry and cry and i run up to the front door of our house in westchester and i would say in korean these words and of course they didn't know what it meant my mom thought i was calling for somebody named chippy but what i was saying in korean was tipikale which is i want to go home so mm. i was crying mm -hmm. and crying mm. saying i yeah. want to go home and wow. nobody was listening to me Right, And so over time, and I always have this image in my head because I can't think that it's an actual memory. My sister, who was nine at the time, she would run up to the front of the door and like probably be silly, like a nine-year-old, mm -hmm. you know, kind of mimic me. And I could see us turning that into a game. Right. But there is part of that little girl who always wanted to go back home that stayed in my body. And I would say that even intellectually, and I did most of my work first intellectually, like studying it yep. in college, even, even I would say, you know, with the work with AKA, it was all like this outside stuff, like doing it out there. 
but it was this cancer that really had me go into my body and explore mm. the things that I had been hanging on to, which was starting to create a dis-ease in my body, quite literally. Yeah. Mm, and there's yeah. more and more research around, again, body and healing and mind and healing. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, and I think a lot of the uh, even evidence-based treatments for trauma, especially childhood trauma, <laughs> maltreatment and that kind of thing, are somatic. It's like you bypass the brain and you just go right mm-hmm. to the body. And those are the most effective treatments for some of those kinds of traumas um, because they existed before you had words. And so you need to release right. it in other sorts of ways. So I just worry yeah. about that as we age, we are not fully letting go and releasing <laughs> these things mm-hmm. that helped us and protected us as children, allowed us to, quote, get be adjusted into our adoptive families, you know, but in the end might have a serious consequence for our health and well-being as we age. And if we don't let those things go, I do worry about our health and our wellness and our, our, and yeah. our uh, mental well-being. So yeah. I, you know, there's no finish line. I, I said no. that to Moses. I'm like, yeah, I've only just been engaging mm-hmm. in the questions longer. You know, that's it. You can start this at any time. You're never too late to the party. Um, but it's a lot to unpack. And so that's why even with also known as my goal was let's start these conversations when you're younger. <laughs> like mm-hmm. now you yeah. that's like that's not wait till you're 21 and you go to college or 18 or whatever can i start those conversations with your 10 year old child because you probably don't know how to have that conversation but maybe i do <laughs> yeah and, and i you just know, and, want you to hear yeah. words that could heal you <laughs> that know yeah. like just name the things that are you're probably holding on in your body that have internalized into hate and shame and guilt and not enough and um and those kinds of things um and all of that stops us and blocks us, right? It does. So yes. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. big into like, we, we need to release these things in our body <laughs> or otherwise yeah. we'll be sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you know the, the mentorship has continued at AKA mm-hmm. and I've done mentorship and, and you know, I, I want to continue to do that. And it's, it is very important because even, even though we don't necessarily like explicitly say, today we're going to have a conversation <laughs> about X, Right, because mm-hmm. that mentorship doesn't really work that way. <laughs> yeah, um, we're just there, and they know that we're there, and we're doing these things together. And if they want to, like, it'll come up at the most random, t- quote unquote, random times. So it'll come up at time. You know, it'll come up when you don't even know it's going to come up. Right. Yeah. And you're just and and you're and, and I feel thankful that I'm there for them when they want to talk about it, and they know I, they can talk to me about it because I've lived it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you know, and all the parents are amazing at AKA, you know, that, that, that trust us enough to, mm-hmm. you know, hand off their children to us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah. So like you're, you know, the work that you started continues, it's going to continue. And, um, you know, I'm really Plug, happy about 25th it. 25th anniversary, April 2021. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Moses, you better be there. I'll be coming we'll up. We'll be celebrating. Yes. That's right. Hopefully, we'll all be able to meet you. each other in person was, or see each other in person. Because Yes, and have yeah. a drink or two or three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Morning coffee if you want or evening That's happy right. hour. <laughs> Whatever is your preferences. Mm. Coffee-based. 
I so I I, I just uh, gotta say I so appreciate uh, this being our first episode and really laying out so much of what needs to be unpacked. Uh, yeah, you know, as you're as you're saying. Um, sorry, not to kill the mood too much. Of course not. <laughs> from, from from where it was, but uh, it it, uh, it 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 it. I mean, it has to do with. Um, our mental health and yeah. it, you know it, it is about hearing each other's stories it, it is about um, oh no here, here's the point that I wanted to make Kali <laughs> <laughs> we do want to capture children while they're young yeah. and start their narrative as early as yes. possible yes. and bring, you know, bring them from the pre-verbal to the verbal Mm-hmm. And you know whether it's through somatic practices and helping them develop their their um, their brain as well, you know, tra- really transforming it from a traumatized brain to a healed brain, right? Uh, in that way, but that you're you're speaking to we can prevent really for so many of us a lifetime of inquiry, a lifetime of treatments, a lifetime of hospitalizations, of therapies, and many of which don't hit the mark. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and have side effects. <laughs> yeah. Have side, yeah, right, which then, you know, requires their own therapies to undo, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just it compounds the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you from the, the clients that I've, that I've worked with, that I've gotten to meet, they do tell me that, oh my gosh, where were you 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Where were you 15 years ago? When, you know, where were you when our child was uh, just adopted? That's when yeah. we really could have used the help. And where was all the post-adoption services, you know, that, um, that we really could have used? Uh, so, yes, it is about, uh, um, intervening, uh, when children are young and help them work through their narratives and just be there as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as a wellness professional, you know, and, and maybe uh, the evolution of mental health with well-being, you know, yes. uh, you know, and, and work towards that. And, and the idea that, uh, um, uh, Oh, my mind went blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll just but, add though, when you're working with the kids, one thing that I wish we had done more with, with AKA, and maybe the current um, way the model is going, there is more of this. So this was historic, but um, the adoptive parents need to work through their shit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sorry. And, and a lot of times the kids get it. Yeah. And this also comes from my training at the Yale Child Study Center. I loved adolescents because they always spoke truth. And it yeah. was always the parents that I had to figure out what the BS was, you know. And mm-hmm. so the kids came in as the, you know, indicated, you know, patient, but it was really this family system that was not working. Yeah, um, I, I think that's true for so many basis. things. I think that's true yeah, for a lot of yeah. adolescents, a lot of, not even just adolescents, adults that come in. Right. Absolutely. It's a Absolutely. family, it's a system, right? It's yeah, a anyway. system. And so yeah. I, I mean, and I've, I've been, so I have a 12 year old and almost five year old. So I'm thinking a lot. And again, what I'm grateful for is that in being in this inquiry, I can maybe stop the intergenerational kind of, mm-hmm. um, 
transmission of mm-hmm. these things that I've been holding as narratives in my head, you know? Yes. So I actually came up with a couple of affirmations that I'm making my kids say. Okay. One is, I am loved. I am safe. Okay. I am enough. Um, I forgive myself. I am at peace. It's like, yeah. And just notice if there were any of those statements that you're like, eh, that's not me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those discomfort plays, because I realize there are these deep-seated narratives, stories about myself that I made when I was a child to try to understand. And one deep one was that I was not lovable, that I was not worthy or yeah. um, uh, of being loved. And so I had to always work extra hard in order to order to be that. But what I had to really do or what I have to really do is accept that I am lovable to myself. Mm -hmm. So self-compassion, self-love, those are the things that, that, that I think open up a whole nother level of um, healing, (laughs) but it's so hard to claim. <laughs> so I oh, was just starting to get to get into yeah. some of this work, but I'm like, if my kids can can say those things without feeling discomfort, they'll be really mm-hmm. solid human beings, you know? Because those yeah. are the things that we're all striving for. Like, am I loved? Do you love me? Am I lovable? Yeah. Right? Am I, I am enough? Loved. Am I enough? Am I, enough? To be loved? Am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Am I smart yeah. enough? Am I all of those enough? So you are enough. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and then yeah. I forgive myself. Like that's the other part. Of, that's the yes. shame and the guilt and all that kind of stuff. Can you forgive yourself that you made mistakes that you didn't do whatever? Can you let go of it? You know, um, mm-hmm. and then we can be at peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I and, think that's and, uh, better I, than like the Lord's Prayer at night. What do you think? <laughs> I, I, I would agree with that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut this off, but you know, we we are we are butting up on an, about an hour and a half of of, of the pod, uh, and I, okay. I can continue talking, but I do. <laughs> but uh, I think that's an amazing place to stop for today. You know, those yeah. affirmations. And, um, you know, did, did you guys have like any last, um, things you wanted to say before we log off and then have the next podcast or Moses, was there some last, (laughs) last thoughts? You want to wrap it up? (laughs) Holly, you're going to go after that and then I'll, (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes. Uh, I so enjoyed this conversation and really laying, laying out the groundwork for future conversations we're going to have. Uh, Holly, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your work, sharing your passion. Uh, I love the affirmations. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to use those with my kids uh, as, as well. Um, we all could use them. Uh, the the couple of things that come to mind, and I'll keep these really short, you guys. That's I love your point about self compassion, and because we get so uh, confused with building self confidence yeah. and not feeling self you know confident in yourself or self esteem, and compassion really is just being gentle with yourself. And and for me, uh, I talk a lot uh, with my clients about working towards self-acceptance mm. and accepting yourself, uh, getting to that place. And it just, it stayed with me that as soon as you can accept yourself is when you can start changing yourself. 
Yeah. So once you really get to see see yourself, then you can see where you want to go. So really, uh, I, I I can't say I you know we unpacked so much here. We laid laid out so much groundwork. Ooh. Thank you so much. There's um, a, a lot of material. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, there's so yes. much to talk about. There Just is. the tip so, of the iceberg. Uh, so Adam, uh, should I should I leave the sign off for you in terms of putting the website out there and? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll do that. But you know, I was I was wondering okay. if if Holly had any last thoughts that she wanted to add as well. So I am really excited. You know, also known as got started 25 years ago. Um, I would say our community has been around for 30. Back 25 years ago, I had this idea of a culture, of an adoptee culture, but I had no idea. I was like, what is culture? It is books. It is poetry. It is um, uh, literature and film. And as Adam or Moses said, um, you know, those things exist. We have built and created that. We have Mm -hmm. spoken up. Um, I don't. I feel a lot less of a need to have to document my individual personal life because I know there are so many voices being um, finding themselves um, and and releasing. And my only hope, though, is that that and this is what I've always been about is that in the end, it's all about our healing. It's about mm-hmm. us being okay, exactly like Moses was saying, with exactly who we are and how we are. And um, and that's always been what I um, stood for when I thought about mentorship or about what I hoped for our community. Um, and again, I, I tend to be somebody, I'm not going to be the agitator, but I know we need agitators to get attention. But for me, it's always about finding the complexity in the middle ground um, that because the truth is this is not black and white, you know, either no. or. It is this complex mixing and melding of things. And ultimately in our work, I think it's about finding our own center within that. And again, I'm going to, I forgot one other line. So this is, this is my affirmations for my kids and for you all. I am loved. I am safe. I am enough. I belong. I forgive mm. myself. I am at peace. Yeah, and with that, we're at the end of this podcast because I'm not going to say more to miss that, mess that up. So, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Holly. It's always great to talk to you, Moses, and there's going to be a lot more of these conversations. And this is just the beginning. So, thanks, everyone, for listening. And, thanks for uh, we'll, having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Holly. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Thank you.